You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of the Track and Storm podcast. My name is Brandon Stanley. Joining me is Alex O'Hari. No Matthew Soma this week. Instead, we are very excited to welcome on Luke Shaw, former Cardiac Cane writer, uh, current free agent in the market. We are coming to you after Game 5, a pivotal Game 5, some might say, of the Carolina Hurricanes and Nashville Predators first round series. Jordan Stahl scored the overtime winner, so the Hurricanes won that game 3-2 to also take a 3-2 series lead. So, we're going to keep this probably pretty short this week. Um, we'll probably have another podcast for you guys shortly after this series comes to an end one way or another. So, for now, we're just going to talk about a handful of things. But first of all, before we get too much into the gameplay, we do want to talk about Blake Murray. We have actually talked about him a good bit on this podcast before because of the kind of weird tryout situation he had in Chicago where he got one game and then was basically let go right away. And we kind of spoke about how it was probably not a great sign. And we thought there might be um, a little bit more to that considering, I mean, it was just a weird scenario, you know, but since then, apparently Matt had told us that he was actually told not to read too much into it. And now that, the Hurricanes signed him. Obviously, that was accurate. So, Blake Murray, good junior goal scorer. Um, what are you guys looking for out of him? Well, I mean, I hate to jump in and correct you right away, but uh, it was actually one reported practice that he was with the team. Never actually got oh, into a game okay. yeah, in, that's, in that's Chicago. True. And, you know, I'm actually it. kind of starting to wonder if he even got into um, a practice at all. Me and Matt were talking on Twitter yesterday, and we – it's just speculation, but we're kind of under the assumption that, you know, with the quarantining rules and the travel situation from Canada into the United States, that maybe the team just figured, you know, it's not really worth bringing in Murray if he's not really going to get into too many games or who knows what the situation was. But um, we were under the assumption that they just decided to release him from the amateur tryout just because of, like I said, the traveling rules and whatnot. So they probably figured it wouldn't be worth it to bring him in on such short notice, I guess. And I guess they'd seen enough. Um, he was playing over in Sweden this year in the third tier league over there, which I mean, I, I can't say I've ever watched a game of that level, but I mean, he's playing men's hockey, right? So it, it's a good step up for him, especially compared to the, to the OHL where he was, he was just dominating there amongst teenagers, right? He's a big guy, he's six foot two, almost 200 pounds, plays a pretty heavy game. 
you know, not really overly physical, but he's definitely not getting pushed around by anybody in that league. So it's a good step up for him to get to play against, you know, some men. And he actually had a pretty good season over there. He played 16 games, scored 23.7 goals. Um, so definitely some good progression there. Um, as far as his outlook goes, you know, I think he's a guy that's definitely going to need some seasoning in the AHL. Like he's, he's a bit of a long-term project, but as far as six round picks go, um, it's just a no risk signing and you let, you let your development guys and, you know, the group in the AHL in Chicago that's run such a great program down there and the success they've had. So you let those guys go to work with him and who knows, you might have a player down the road. Yeah. Um, I mean, big time OHL goal scorer. He had 20 goals his first year there. And then he had back-to-back 30 goal years in the OHL for Sudbury. In a lot of ways, he kind of reminds me of Nicholas Waugh because he was a super highly touted, uh, imp- or not import draft, but, um, you know, what the hell is it called? Priority selection, whatever. That's what they call it in junior hockey when they're drafted. He was a, I think he was a top 10 pick going into the OHL, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then kind of at times didn't really show through on his promise. But similar to why years back, the Hurricanes kind of took a flyer on him. And they've seen a lot of good things since then. You know, I've heard reports. I haven't seen him play a lot since it's all secondhand information so take it what you will but a lot of people have spoken really highly about his hockey sense he's really more of a secondary piece than a play driver but he's got goal scoring touch and he's got some offensive upside so that was a hell of a flyer to take for a sixth round pick I think and obviously the talent is there well you're definitely going to need to figure out what exactly his role is going to be at the next level um when they initially drafted him I think they listed him at center but since then he's played more of the wing um in OHL a lot along Quinton Byfield um, and Sudbury there. So, you know, he's playing with top talent. He's proven he can play with those top guys and produce at a, at a high rate. The one knock on him from scouts was, you know, kind of his consistency from shift to shift. Um, he could really go quiet in games. And, you know, it's just, it's, he's a young player, right? He's, he's still figuring it out. Brian Warsawski and those guys in Chicago. I mean, what a job they've done with the Hurricanes as youth. I mean, it, it's tough to find a better situation to put him in than with those guys there. And, you know, just just letting them work and try and mold them into a player that can play in a Rod Brindamore system. Because, you know, the first thing the first thing you think about when a guy has consistency issues is, man, how is this guy going to fit in Rod Brindamore's system? But, you know, he's, he's very raw. Um, he's, he's got a lot to learn. And he's still at the point where he can be taught. So... You know, it's definitely not going to be a situation where this guy is one or two years away from the NHL. I think with a guy like Murray, um, you're, you're not going to have any idea of what his upside is until he's done uh, his entry-level contract. I assume he'll go to the AHL next year. Um, if he's ready to step in there, they'll probably probably have his chance to, to earn a spot in that lineup. Um, but yeah, this isn't a guy that we're talking about, you know, anytime in the near future. He's a project and we'll see if they can shape him into a player. Um, I mean, honestly, I think you guys hit the nail on the head. I, I haven't got too much to add. Um, I was going to point out the two thirty thirty goal in a row campaigns in the OHL. You mentioned Byfield, um, men's league over in Sweden. I think the one thing that stuck out to me was he goes from being a predominantly a, a finisher in the OHL to his first season in men's league. In, uh, men's league, he's at a one to two ratio goal to assist. Maybe he's doing a little more playmaking over there. He, like you guys said, he's a long-term project. We're not going to know much for another three or four years on this guy, but consistency, a good shot. We'll see. We'll move right along into some actual hockey from this week. Um, obviously, things didn't go particularly well when the team went to Nashville. 
Um, back-to-back double overtime losses. And I'm going to be honest with you, I was pretty nervous at that point because, I mean, just from a physical and mental standpoint, those kind of games are just so draining. But then to be able to come back and on home ice, super tough game, kind of a lot working against you. A lot of guys really just aren't playing well right now, and I'll kind of get into that in a little bit. But the ability to come through and Martin Natchez, I mean, what a performance from him. Basically, I saw Sarah Sivian tweeted, Natchez is going to single-handedly will this team to a win. I kind of laughed about that, but it's kind of true. Um, and then, of course, the captain comes through in overtime. So that shows a lot of like a lot of resiliency, um, a really impressive bounce-back win. So what are some things that stuck out to you guys um, from any of the games, really? I mean, game five, um, after that second period, you know, with the disallowed goal and stuff, um, I was really expecting the Hurricanes to come out in the third and really hammer down and, you know, take charge of the game. But, my God, it just – it, it was a it was a pretty lackadaisical effort in the third period, especially the first ten minutes of it. Man, I was sitting there and I'm like, my God, like where's the urgency here? Um, just like they they just look soft on the puck and that Nashville's one two two neutral zone trap. It was just smothering them. They couldn't even they could, never mind actually enter the zone with the puck, but they couldn't get any zone time. I mean, it it, it was looking pretty dire, man. Um, we, I mean, we were talking in in our podcast group chat that you know it it's not looking good. It's not yeah. looking good. And, uh, yeah, you know, spirits were down. I mean, Kane's Twitter was a mess. Uh, the <laughs> arena was, it just, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a good sight to watch. And then, you know, Marty Natchez was seemingly the only player who actually wanted to enter the puck with his own on a stick. You know, everyone else was kind of just dumping it in and nobody was getting in there to get it. And it was just kind of a back and forth effort of nothing really going on, just dumped into one zone, cleared out, dumped back in, cleared out and just, never ending cycle of that sort until, you know, Marty Natchez took matters into his own hands. And my God, what a difference we've seen from him versus in the playoffs against Boston last year, right? Where, you know, um, if this was last year in the bubble, that puck was going deep in the zone. Uh, He was not carrying that puck and he just looks like a completely different player. He's confident. And I like the, I love from from then on when Martin Natchez scored that goal, the hurricanes were the aggressors, right? You could just tell they, they felt they were in the driver's seat. And uh, at that point, I felt very good about their overall effort um, from then on to the point where Jordan Stahl scored the, scored the game-winning goal. And, I mean, my God, what a presence he's been for the team in this round. Watching games um, three and four, it really kind of felt like we were, we were just playing into Nashville's hands with the sheer unpredictability of the game itself. I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense to you guys, but I was watching that uh, it's what almost felt like not, not like a lack of identity, but we'll call it a lack of execution. Cause you know, that, you know, Rod's got a game, plan for this, but just the unpredictability of it all that we, that we watched unfold. It, I, I don't even know if I want to call it uninspired or cause it wasn't, it was just randomness. It definitely seemed like they were just kind of waiting on the Hurricanes to make mistakes. And then it was all counterattack. That's where so much of their offense came from. It's like as soon as the Hurricanes made a mistake, they had an odd man rush come back the other way and they capitalized. And that's that's kind of what it's felt like to me from Nashville's point of view is like clog the middle of the ice, wait for the Hurricanes to get kind of impatient and a bad pinch or something to happen, and then go back the other direction. It feels like Nashville's entire game plan has been centered around, like like you said, trapping the middle of the ice so the Hurricanes can't come through the neutral zone and enter into their zone with speed, which is, you know, such a big part of what their overall Hurricanes' structure is built on. It's, you know, by 
guys like Vinny Trocek and Marty Natchez and, you know, Ajo and those guys carrying the puck into the zone and, you know, establishing themselves in the offensive zone to get some creativity going and, you know, get the cycle going and whatnot. But, I mean, Nashville, they, they've just answered the Hurricanes' attack very well. Uh, they've, they've played a frustrating structure for the Hurricanes to break down. And, you know, it, like, like I said, especially in the first 10 minutes of the, the third period last night when, you know, Nashville was just smothering them on, on the in the neutral zone. I mean, it's just, you're looking at that and you're like, man, how are they going to break through? And, you know, good on the hurricanes for, or at least Marty Natchez uh, specifically for, you know, switching up the plan of attack and taking it into his own hands because what they're doing, Nashville is just ready for at this point And it's just not working. I, I was just going to add on to that and say, wasn't it something like only like two shots on net to the first 10 minutes of the third last night? Yeah. They've been outshot five to two in the first half of the third period when they're down the bowl. <laughs> basically fighting for their season's lives. And there's something to be said for not panicking, I guess, and not completely losing your identity. But I mean, like Alex said, like there was a complete lack of urgency, it seemed like. And I just felt like they kind of looked defeated. And it took that nation's play, that beautiful goal, to all of a sudden they're like, all right, now we have a chance. Which, I mean – I don't know what's going on in that locker room. I can't really sit here and say, oh, that's actually what was happening. And they had, you know, actually given up or anything like that. But it, it was it was lifeless in the building. It seemed lifeless on the ice. And, I mean, <laughs> if Natius doesn't make that incredible play, who knows? This could be a whole lot different. I would have had some scathing takes for this podcast. I can tell you that much because I had already told Alex and Matt that. If this goal holds <laughs> – I'm going to go off tomorrow. <laughs> but oh God, imagine, imagine what the, what would have happened on Kane's Twitter if the Hurricanes lost that game. I mean, my God, it would have been an apocalypse on there. <laughs> I could attest to that. I don't know if you were uh, at the game, Brandon, um, but I was one, I was in 120 last night. I happened to be on the concourse when Natchez scored. <laughs> I, I didn't see it. Like I didn't see it right in front of me. I had to catch the replays, but I tell you, you go from here in a pin drop. This is just, Adding, just adding a little more context to what you guys were saying. goes from you hear a pin drop to the roof is off the building. Yeah. And you felt the change in the air out on the con- – it was like a whole wave of energy just flooded PNC Arena when Nate just decided, you know what, no, I'm going to go below the level of play. I'm not going to wind up at the blue line. I'm going to wind up all, be- all, all the way below the face-off dots and get that much more speed because I'm going to go make something happen right now. Yeah, he really just went takeover mode. And it was all hurricanes from that point on. I mean, I think Nashville had like one or two little mini rushes or shifts where they were kind of in the hurricane zone and Ned had to make a save. But like other than that, man, the hurricanes obviously started to impose their will from that point on. And the remainder of regulation and definitely the overtime period, as short as it was, was all hurricanes. And can you think of a better, um, just a more appropriate ending to the game than – the captain stepping in and saying, all right, I got it from here. After <laughs> Marty Natchez showed him the way, Cap goes and gets that greaser. Like, yeah. swats it out of midair, trickles over the line, doesn't matter how it goes in, how it looks. It's it, We're ending this now. Love yeah. That. And it felt like a sense of justice being served right after Stahl's goal was knocked off the board of just that egregious call, man. I mean – I don't think we need to harp too much on that because, you know, it's kind of just been beaten to death by everybody in the hockey community. But I mean, my God, I would just, I would love to know what the referees are seeing there to wave that one off. And, you know, it's, 
it's almost at a point where you have to consider changes to the entire way that these reviews are handled on the ice. I mean, maybe if, if it's going to be a, um, a, just a repeat, a constant repetition of, you know, getting the call wrong on the ice, at what point do you take, you know, what, at what point do you take the decision out of the referee's hands and just send everything to Toronto and let those guys figure it out? I mean, it, it's just ridiculous how inconsistently things are called on the ice and, you know, just, just this year, it hasn't been a banner year at all for NHL officiating. And I mean, my God, just the entire playoffs as a whole, as a whole has just, you know, put the spotlight even further on that of, you know, what what's going to change here. Did either of you guys read uh, Dom's article on The Athletic this morning? Um, I did not. I did not. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce his last name. I don't know very many who are brave enough. Lashusen. Lashusen. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Nice. Now I learned something. Um, he basically, yeah, he finally, he, he just is, obviously you got to have in the title. It's like, these are my opinions. It's like We've just been subject to poor officiating and we've done nothing about it for so long. And now we're finally speaking up about it. But is anything going to change? It was yeah, a really I've seen that headline as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think the NHL has it out for the Canes specifically. No, no, of course not. No, there is something my dad said that I didn't want to believe at first, but the longer it goes on, the more I just can't help but run from the idea or can't run from the idea anymore. Um, the NHL has lost a lot of money in these la- in this last year and a half, and. The Hurricanes and the Predators are bringing in revenue right now because they have 12000 now 15000 for the Hurricanes, in the building. So maybe, to a degree, the referees had some sort of objective to make sure the series went on for more than four or five games. Which, I mean, if you look back at game three, I'm not going to sit here and say they should have called this, they should have called this, they should have called this. But there were a lot of calls that definitely seemed to go against the Hurricanes especially after the Hurricanes took a 3-2 to two lead and were really starting to take momentum. All of a sudden, Nashville ends up with a 5-on-3. They score, it goes to overtime, blah, blah, blah. If the Hurricanes win that game, last night was probably the end of it, and it probably didn't go to overtime, and hell, they might have won it in Nashville if they had gone up 3 to nothing. Um, but now we're going at least six games because of some questionable calls. I don't know, man. And I'm not trying to say definitively that this is – or, you know, they're trying to give Nashville level the playing field, but it's at least something to think about. I think that's all I'm trying to say about that. I don't know. Like last night when I initially saw uh, the goaltender interference call was made, you know, I was thinking, you know, just, just kind of speculating to myself that, you know, does it feel at all like that kind of a call was made in retaliation to Rod Brindamore publicly calling out the officiating? I don't know, man, because after he called it out, that next game was pretty even, you know, and that was the one I was most concerned about. I was like, he might, the refs might, they might not give us much of anything that game. That's, that's really was my reaction. Either they're going to, it's actually going to make a difference because, okay, I saw somebody talking about this on Twitter. Um, Scotty Bowman apparently used to do this in the postseason where he would, if he didn't like the things went in the game, he would kind of talk about it in the post-game presser, and in the next game, he'd get a bunch of calls. So some Nashville fans, or it might have even been a writer, said something about, Scotty Bowman used to do this, Nashville needs to watch out next game because Carolina's going to get all the calls. And I, they didn't get all the calls by any stretch of the imagination. They haven't gotten all the calls in any game this series. Um, but that next game was much more even. So 
I think if there would have been some sort of vendetta against him, we would have seen it that next game. I, I don't think that's what it was. I just think NHL officials have no idea what the hell goaltender interference is. That's okay. what I mean as well. Like, I, I would hate to blame the referees for any series because at the end of the day, it's a best of seven series, right? The better team is going to win the four games. Uh, you're not going to – the refs aren't going to steal four games for you. I, I don't right. care what anybody says. I don't care how un, how uneven the officiating might be or might seem. The, the refs aren't stealing four games for you. So, if you're winning a best of seven series, it's because you're the better team in that series. So, I mean, I, I don't like blaming the referees at all. And, I mean – it's not a it's not a perfect science right i mean these guys are human mistakes are made it's just you'd like to see a little more consistency especially when you know they're letting certain things go the entire game like in game three in the double overtime and then you call that you, you call that really soft call on max lejoie i mean that stuff they were letting that slide the entire the entirety of overtime which was over 30 minutes at that point a worse version of that, that happened to jordan stall on a breakaway yeah, like you call that, and I mean, you know, now Nashville Predators fans are kind of up in arms about the interference call last night. I think it's a legit call, but I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna like put a microscope on that call, I mean, the Brady Shea holding call a minute before yeah. that put Nashville on the power play initially was it was just as soft as the one that was called against I, I think Carrier or whoever it was. But I, I mean, listen, as we don't expect it to be perfect, just make it fair and consistent for both sides. Yeah, and, and the Nita rider getting tripped coming through center ice with speed was like, all right, if you're going to swallow the whistles, fine. You're not going to call that. The next time the Hurricanes do something pretty bad or even questionable, if you if you blow the whistle, I'm going to be pissed off. And then, of course, they did. I don't know, man. One last thing I'll say about the goalie interference call. I almost wonder if Roman Yossi hadn't stopped Soros, like hadn't actually interfered with Soros, if that goalie interference gets called. I know that's kind of like weird. And and granted, maybe he gets, Soros gets across and makes the save if Yossi's not in the way. But if the same play happens and Yossi isn't there to, you know, make contact with Soros and keep him away, I wonder if that goal gets called back. It's a really weird thing to yeah, think about. Yeah, that's a good point. But, um, that's, just, that's what everybody was saying last night. It's like how... Roman Yossi is the only one that makes that interferes with him. I, I still don't really even see Fogel making contact. And I certainly don't see him impeding Saros and being able to play his position, but it's like, because there was contact from his own player, it's like, Oh yeah, we well, need to call something. He wasn't able to play his position. I don't know. Again, they don't know what the hell they're doing. If you ask me, I probably shouldn't criticize them too hard at this point. The hurricanes did come out with the win and you know, more to that. I think there's a lot of reason to be, excited about the hurricanes if they are able to overcome the series because they have had to overcome a ton of adversity and having that especially so early in the playoffs you know can be a really good thing for them long term because every postseason run especially for a team if you're going to make a deep run you're going to run into a lot of adversity and because of how many times the hurricanes probably feel like they've been slighted or feel like they've kind of had an unfair advantage from the referees this could really be something that kind of pulls them together and say, Hey, we overcame this. We can pretty much, we, we can do this. You know, it's a big boost of confidence. Yeah. But to co- kind of counter that point at what point here of, you know, so three games have gone to overtime, each of the last three games, um, two of them well into double overtime. You've had your top guys on defense playing almost 40 minutes a night on a couple of occasions. I mean, the Delkovich has had just an immense workload. 
if you're going into round two, assuming that you do close out this series, I mean, at what point do you start worrying about fatigue here a little? I think we overstated a little bit. Um, I'm not saying it's not a factor, and I'm not saying it's something that they'll have to kind of be careful with. Um, a lot of times these guys skate on their off days, even if it's just like a slow kind of like walk through, just making sure you're on the ice, making sure you're staying sharp, going through systems kind of thing. And Rod is like making sure that on the off days, they're not skating. They're not getting on the ice. Everybody's resting, making sure they're hydrating, making sure they're getting plenty of food. And just, it's you know, the off days have been straight up recovery days. Um, I think Pesci talked about this. I think I saw this on Twitter a little bit earlier, talking about how it's really not that bad, which granted, I don't know what you expect him to say. He's not going to come out and be like, yeah, it's tough. I'm exhausted. But I think they're okay. I think the Hurricanes are a very well-conditioned team under Brenda Moore. But I hope Slavin stays healthy. That's I mean, I'm just I'm that. just bringing it up because, you know, in the first 10 minutes of that third period last night, it just really looked to me like the Hurricanes were out of gas. It looked like they kind of left everything they had out there, and they just had nothing left to give. You know, Marty Natchez, obviously, that goal brought the life back into the team. But, I mean, watching that watching that effort there, um, it just looked like they were defeated. And I was like, man, you know, this this it's not looking pretty. You know, the effort didn't look great overall. We've talked about it, but, I mean, just as the series continues to go on, if it does even go to a game seven, you know, they've played a lot of hockey here in a short time. So at some point you do have to start worrying about fatigue, especially if they have hopes of playing uh, well, well into, you know, June. Um, and then on the flip side of that, at what point you maybe consider going to Morozik to give Ned a, a rest. But I mean, how can you take him out of the crease based on how he's played? Right. I can't. I say you keep going straight to Ned and say, you good. He says, "Yeah, you keep playing him." Yeah, what is he? He's twenty-five. He's got those young. Well, guys. he's definitely gonna. He's he's not gonna say no. I can't play right. <laughs> it, if they ask him, he's he's gonna be in there. Yeah. Um. Eh, I don't really feel like it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, this is what the Hurricanes do. You know, they, they, when you get into the postseason, you roll one guy. Um, Saros has seen a heavier workload. I made this point the other day. Katie actually had said something about it. Um, Saros has seen the same workload, actually a little bit heavier as far as from a shot perspective than Nadelkovic has. And they're sure as hell not going to Pecorine. So um, I think that'll be okay. I think the Hurricanes should be okay. As Like I said, as long as Slavin stays in there, I think that's really the key because definitely if Pesci and Shea keep having to play like 40-plus minutes, or, well, I guess that would only happen if you get it over time, but you get what I'm saying. If they ha- keep having to play monstrous minutes and, like, take on so much of the workload, those tough minutes, those penalty kill minutes, then I definitely think that fatigue is going to start to be a massive factor. But as things stand right now, I think they'll be okay. Um, they have four defensemen they trust. We'll talk about Dougie Hamilton in a little bit. But uh, I, that you can you can get by on that. Yeah, well, you have four defensemen that Rod trusts, but I mean, at this point, how many def- how many defensemen do the fans trust? I mean, based on how Dougie Hamilton's series has gone, I mean, it's just, I mean, we might as well get into it and talk about it, right? Um, you know, this guy's a pending unrestricted free agent, uh, has obviously had the the Brinks truck linked to him for you know the the better of the last two years. Uh, this camp reportedly asking for Alex Petrangelo money at this point, you know, on a long-term deal where he's likely asking seven, eight years. What, what are you guys doing right now? I mean, based on the play in this series, I mean, mind you, you can't just base if you're going to give this guy a, a long-term deal off this five-game series up till now. But, 
where do you guys stand on this? I'm going to be thankful I'm not the one making the negotiation. <laughs> Tough call. Um, I've, I, I feel like I've made this clear a lot in just various conversations I've had with various people across Kane's Twitter and in person. I love Dougie Hamilton. I really do. Um, but when I watch players, the very first thing when I'm scouting talent and just like watching a game is I care about their defensive aptitude. I care about their defensive awareness. I care about the little things they do. Where is their head at when the, when the puck's away from them? That's just always how I how I played the game when I was younger. That's how I think. I mean, obviously, you got to score goals to win. But all this is to say, God, some of those things were tough to watch for me from from nineteen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough line to draw, right? Because these mistakes are just so fresh in everybody's mind, um, and they obviously played, you know, a big factor in game four going to where it was, and you know just the lack of awareness on the game winning goal in overtime, you know, you can't just put the blame solely on him because, you know, technically the forward is supposed to pick up the guy that's coming off the bench. But I mean, where is he going behind the net, right? You you leave the front of your net wide open for a guy to just come in and take that space. And you're behind, you're behind the net defending a ghost or something. I mean, I, I just, I, I can't really defend him on that one, but you know, like I said on Twitter, um, I've been wary about giving Dougie Hamilton a long-term deal for, you know, the majority of the season, because I just think with his foot speed, as he continues to age and gets into his early mid thirties, you know, if you're signing him to an eight year deal, this guy with his lack of foot speed already and already his lack of defensive awareness and IQ that, you know, it's going to get worse, especially as the game gets younger, the game gets faster. You know, you've seen the transition from, you know, just hockey five years ago to what it is today. The game keeps getting quicker and, I don't necessarily think that older guys are going to be phased out, but older guys are going to have to do more to be able to keep up, especially as we keep going along here. And I'm just not sure Dougie Hamilton at his size, and, you know, he's already a step slow now. I'm not sure he's going to be able to close that gap. And that might be a contract that you regret sometime in the future. If you get three or four good years from that deal and you win a cup, nobody's going to care. Like we've made that point about Chicago, it sucks for them now with, you know, having Seabrook and Keith and, you know, just a lot of guys, older guys are kind of past it now on long-term deals, but they got three cups. So I don't think anybody there is really complaining. Yeah. um, As things stand right now, my like top dollar range where I would go to keep him around has definitely shrunk. And that may be a little bit unfair, but he wasn't great in the last postseason either. Um, And and it's not just him, you know, there's, there's actually – four different guys that we have to see more out of if the Hurricanes are going to have any longevity in this playoff run. Dougie Hamilton's one of them. And the other three, honestly, are all on one line. And it's the line yeah. everybody always talks about, and that's SAT. Mm-hmm. Especially Kyle, let's not forget, he's also up for an extension. And, <laughs> I mean, do you guys want to make money? You guys want – this is your – like, this. they could be making how much money right now? If they had shown up and they were playing their asses off, Spechnikov's dollar number would be going up. Dougie could be, you know, have more evidence to point to and say, pay me my money. And instead, they're just kind of falling off. And, and I mean, on the flip side of that, the fact that the Hurricanes are treading water right now, if they can advance, they're all too talented. They're too good of players for this to continue, right? You have to think at some point they're going to snap out of it and start playing. But 
it's a nightmare scenario. If the Hurricanes were to lose game six and seven, there's going to be a lot of questions around this franchise. And this summer can actually get partially interesting. You know, Dougie's the only one that obviously has a chance of actually leaving, but Sveshnikov next year for him, for me at least, becomes really, really big because he wasn't that great this summer or uh, this season. Um, he definitely had flashes and I'm not saying his ceiling isn't so astronomical. And I still think he's going to be one of the best players in the NHL in the next couple of years. Let me just get that out of the way right now. But this is like what he's made for this playoff hockey. The physicality has been there, the scoring, the dangerous play, just being a threat every time he's on the ice definitely has not. So for him, for all the SAT line and for Dougie Hamilton, we really need to start seeing more And, and game six would be a great chance to just like, Impose your will. You're back in game two. Sebastian Ajo just about single-handedly won that game. He was the best player on the ice. And he was just fantastic the first few games in general. We need another game like that in game six. SAT needs to combine for two or three goals, and the Hurricanes need to just go ahead and close it out and move forward with that kind of momentum and, you know, those guys clicking again. Well, yeah, and beyond just that, you know, you were talking about kind of all the questions that there could be this summer. There's going to be questions regardless, right, with the expansion draft and whatnot coming up. Yeah. And, you know, it's been trending this way for a while where I think, you know, based on the second half of the season overall and especially what we've seen in the playoffs here, I mean, at this point, is there any question about this team absolutely has to protect Brady Shea along with, you know, obviously Brett Pesci and Jacob Slavin are locks, but there's been a lot of debate about, you know, is it going to be Brady Shea? Is it going to be Jake Bean? Could it be, you know, somebody else? I, I don't think it's a question anymore as a fact uh, as to the fact that, you know, Brady Shea has just been absolutely phenomenal here. Um, I was admittedly pretty hard on him earlier in the year, but I mean, my God, just the strides this guy's taken and he's just been an absolute rock for the hurricanes at the back, even without Jacob Slavin, he stepped up and he's been, you know, arguably as good as anybody on the team during this stretch here. And people were saying, could Jake Bean be a guy that they protect over Brady Shea. You know, I've had some issues with Jake Bean in this series. I think it's kind of exposed that, you know, he's not quite physically ready for the NHL right now. And like, listen, I'm not going to be hard on Jake Bean because we know what kind of a player he is. He's never going to be a shutdown defender. And he's more of a guy that is touted as, he's he's been touted as a two-way guy, but he's he's there more so to impact the offensive side of the game than he is to be, you know, a shutdown defender. But I mean, let's be honest here. This guy's six foot one, 185 pounds. So it's not like he's undersized, especially compared to these, some of these other guys you see around the NHL now, like Quinn Hughes and Eric Branstrom. And these guys are about five, nine doing the same thing that he is. It's been a rough series for him. And the fact that he reminds me a little of Christian Wolanin from Ottawa and kind of has the same problems that he did where I'm seeing a guy that does not have a lot of lower body strength, especially for his size. I mean, he just seems very top heavy and, you know, especially along the wall. I mean, is there any guy in the NHL that wouldn't bully him there? I mean, he just gets knocked off balance so easily. And man, I I mean, he's been really struggling to defend in this series. It's almost tough to watch. I feel bad for him. He only played about seven minutes in game five. I mean, He's he's got a lot of work to do, I think, if he's going to be, you know, a capable top four NHL defenseman. It's definitely not going to work at his current playing weight. He's going to need to add some serious lower body strength, I think. And with a guy like him, of course, you want him to be able to keep that that dynamic element that he has offensively with the skating ability. But I mean, man, my God, just get this guy a leg press and just give him count endless tape of Jared Spurgeon and just say, you know, watch 
watch how this guy controls his gaps and how tight his gaps are because, you know, Jake, Jake Bean is just not going to physically overpower anybody. But when he's just standing there in the middle of the ice, swatting at the puck, when you've got a guy like Matthew Shane breaking down against him, I mean, it's just, it's not pretty right now. And he's got a lot of work to do. So by no means do I want to lose him to Seattle because I, I'm still high on his upside. But I mean, at this point, you know, the, 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 the decision between him and Brady Shea, it's just, it's not a decision. It's, it's Brady Shea all day. And, you know, you got to do what you can to protect the bean, but I, I don't think it's much of a question anymore. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think it is either. Um, I, I said it the other night, I don't ever want to hear any more Brady Shea slander again. Yeah. He's been nothing short of stellar this entire series. I mean, Slavin-esque defensive plays, legitimately. Oh, he's yeah, been I said fantastic. that to you last night, like stripping pucks and, you know, making 180 blocks and, like, swatting pucks away and something. I mean, he's been fantastic. Um, and Bean, you're exactly right. Um, he's he's not ready for this kind of playoff series, especially with the heavy forwards. He's been matched up a lot with the herd line for Nashville and their bottom six guys that are just relentless on the body, relentless on the puck, and he's getting eaten alive back there. Oh, he's yeah, never going to be much. Yeah, he's never going to be the kind of guy that's going to, you know, bust guys through the wall and be super physical on the puck. But like, he's got to be able to separate at least a little bit. And he's got to be able to have balance. And it's exactly what you're saying. He doesn't have that lower body strength yet. And and he's got, that's got to be priority number one for him this offseason if he's going to stick in the NHL. Um, you know, you mentioned Jared Spurgeon, guys like that he could learn a lot from. And just be sound in your positioning. It's, it's not a battle issue because I've seen him go into the corners and I've seen him be willing to put his body into somebody else. But it's like they just brush him off. There's just no power behind it. And he's got the baseline to be a decent defenseman. And he's obviously got a, obviously got a ton of offensive skill. He's just got to keep maturing. He's got to keep learning about positioning. He's got to keep learning about how to play these speedy forwards and how to avoid these big hits from the physical forwards that he's going up against right now. But like you said, man, I mean, if Slavin, Pesci, and Shea aren't the three guys the Hurricanes are protecting in the expansion draft, then I don't, I don't really know what exactly their plan is here moving forward. And I actually think the Hurricanes could stand to add another defensive stay-at-home kind of guy this offseason as well. I'm just going to throw that out there. Don't care for Hockenpah? Hockenpah's fine. Not a ton. But, like, if, if when other guys go down, his role doesn't change. You realize that, like – it, it, they, they, they try to squeeze more minutes out of him, and he's just he doesn't you, have like it. I, I think no. if you could upgrade from Hawk and Paw, you'd be doing yourself a favor. Like if you can upgrade a Hawk and Paw to like yeah. a David Savard or Adam Larson type, yeah, um, and you're not breaking the bank to do it, I think it'd be crazy not to look at that kind of a move. And you know, just one more thing on Jake Bean, I, I might be a little more worried about him than you are because when I watch Jake Bean if you really keep a close eye on him when he's defending, especially below his own goal line, like he's almost standing straight up. And I mean, it's just, there's no track record of guys that defend like that who have, you know, had success defending like that. And like I said, it's kind of comparable to Christian Will Landon in Ottawa, who he, that's exactly how he defended. And, you know, he's a top heavy player where he's not using his lower body strength, the very little that they have as an advantage they're not using their leveraging well and you know when you're defending like that and your balance is already not very good and you're getting easily pushed off the puck like a paperweight like I'm not sure Jake Bean is going to stand up against a strong gust of wind I mean it's almost like you have to re you have to break down and redo everything he does defensively I mean he's young he can learn he can adapt but 
as far as Christian Willand and Ottawa went, I mean, it was just a repetition of the same thing. He never learned and he was shipped off. I mean, Jake Bean, I, I like to think he has higher hockey sense, but I think there's a lot of work to do about his overall game because when you watch him, it just looks like he doesn't have a clue how to defend. Yeah, he hasn't done well with the speed of the NHL. Um, his last year in Chicago, well, in Charlotte, actually, uh, his defense really took a step forward because he does have that hockey sense and his gaps were good. He, he was just really good with his stick. Like he was always in passing lanes. He was really good at taking pucks away from the opponent. You know, simple as that. I'm not going to compare it to Slavin quite, but like in that similar vein to where he just always made good positional defenses, essentially. Um but he's got a long way to go. He's got to adjust to the speed of the NHL, which obviously goes up an even bigger step once you get to postseason hockey. And it, it's I, I'm not going to say I'm giving up on him. I'm also not going to say I'm 100% certain he's an NHL defenseman at this point either. Game two, really proud of the way he battled. But four of the five games played so far, he's been outmatched. The Duchesne goal against in game three, he bit on the first move. Granted, it's Duchesne, and Duchesne does that to a lot of people. But it almost looked like he wasn't trusting his own fundamentals. Yeah, that's um, that's where my problem lies. I like Bean, too. I'm I'm not writing him off. Room to grow. Room to grow. Yeah, I mean, he's a rookie, right? He's going to learn from this stuff, right. and you hope he can adjust from it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's just he looks a little overmatched. And at this point, you consider putting in maybe a Jay Gardner or even a Max Lajoie, who looked pretty good in his, uh, in his two-game cameo here. Yeah, I would actually consider LeDraw pretty quickly, to be honest with you, because I just think he's looked better defensively than Gardner has, and I think that's really more so what you're looking for. Um, you know, you kind of want somebody that's going to create from the back end as well, because the Hurricanes aren't getting, like, any of that right now. You know, Dougie Hamilton's just not creating. Like, he did – okay, really early in last night's game, he jumped into the play twice right off the bat. And the first time, he got a really good chance, and that it just looked like – you know, activating dangerous Dougie Hamilton again. He had that uh, patient move where he went ar- went around, a, I think, a sliding defenseman or something, and then took a shot that Soros shouldered off. But it was a really good early chance. And then the second time he jumped up into the play, he had that turnover at the blue line. It went back the other way for an odd man rush, and he took a penalty. And then after that, it's like he went right back to being scared of the play or, like, timid. He, you know, he's very timid. Yeah. And just invisible. And when he's playing like that, you know, he's just – he's useless, man. So, like, if Dougie can snap out of it, then I think Lajah is a great choice. If not, it's like you almost kind of need being in your lineup to have the potential of somebody moving the puck and doing something for you on the back end. Well, see, that's where I'd make the case for Jake Gardner, right? I mean, there's just a lot of passes up the wall to nobody in the neutral zone. And, you know, Jake Gardner is the best stretch passer on this team. Let's make no mistake about it. I mean, when – he's transitioning things from defense to offense. I mean, it's just a thing of beauty to watch. Yeah. He might be a little overmatched as far as his foot speed goes, especially when he's pivoting. But I mean, game two, I had absolutely no problems at all with this play. I thought he was fine. I thought he was really good. Actually. He battled in there. That was probably the most physical I've seen him in a hurricane Jersey. Like he, he looked like he was trying to prove that he belongs in the lineup. And uh, I, I thought he did that. And, you know, he hasn't played since, and we don't really have an explanation as to why, but um, I, I feel totally confident if you were to jump back in there that he'd do a good job. The thing about Gardner, I, I feel like there's just something going on there because I think you're right that he did look pretty good. And I, I kind of expected him to play the very next game. And then they go to Lajoie 
So I was kind of like, Gardner had a good game. Why are you bringing him out? Like, he might be injured, man. Like, he might have some of this still bothering him. And going back into the game kind of tweaked it, and he didn't feel right again the next day. But if he's okay to play, I, I actually am pretty much behind the idea of Jake Bean getting a little mental reset. Um, when Jake Bean was scratched a while back, that next game he had back after he had gotten up in the press box and been able to watch video and kind of have a mental reset, he was really good for a couple of games when he first got back in the lineup. And then he kind of fell into old habits, and now he's struggling again. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for a lot of reasons. It's been a while since I've seen a nice uh, goal line to opposing blue line uh, stretch pass. Can really go for one of those right now. Yeah, it'd be nice. <laughs> well, Stress Nashville's defense out a lot, and, you know, it wouldn't allow them to set up their trap. You know, a quick counterattack is what the hurt or what Nashville has been doing to the Hurricanes all series. You know, a quick turnover and then going back up the ice and, you know, before the defense is set, getting a great A chance. So I think the Hurricanes could definitely go for a couple of those in game six, and hopefully game seven doesn't exist. But if it does, game seven as well. Yeah, I mean, Hayden Fleury was always good for a couple of those every game, right? So, I mean, you don't have him in the lineup anymore. And, you know, Yanni Hockenpah isn't necessarily making up for him in that regard, right? So, I do think, in all seriousness, I do think that uh, Jake Gardner would bring an added dimension to the team. I mean, beyond just the defensive struggles, I don't really think Jake Bean has looked super comfortable running the power the second power play um, in these playoffs He's not doing anything wrong. He just seems really passive to me. Like, he's not trying to make any mistake. He's not um, looking he's moving, for a shot at all. Exactly. Like, he's moving the puck around well, but uh, you're you're right. I can't see where, you know, he's trying to make a lane for himself or, you know, try and take anybody on, make a move. He's just, he's just out there, you know, trying to not make a mistake, not force anything, which is fine. But, I mean, this is the playoffs, right? You want a guy who's going to maybe take a little chance. I mean... Last night you saw with Jacob Slavin back in the lineup, right, on that disallowed goal where he faked a shot and he made a move on the defender, making his own lane to get the puck through, and that's at even strength. Um, So, you know, you want a guy who's willing to take those chances and, you know, try and make something happen for you. I I just think, you know, with Jake Gardner's experience, that if you put him on that power play too and you give him some sheltered minutes alongside even a Brett Pesci, if you decide to do that at even strength where you're sheltering him a little more and kind of letting him – you know, do do what makes him effective. I think that Jake Gardner would be a pretty welcome addition to this group based on, you know, what we've seen over the first few games. Well, the only problem I have with that is putting him with Pesci. I don't think you do that because of how good Shea and Pesci have been together and how important, you know, that familiarity and comfort with your defense partner is there. Oh, um, yeah, that's fair. Um, so, but otherwise, yeah, I, I'm totally with you there. Um and now I'm losing my train of thought on the second thing I was about to say. All I was going to say was when Bean's out there on power play too, he's moving the puck, right? Oh, that's yeah. But is he moving the defenders with his eyes? Is he moving the defenders with his feints like Gardner does? Actively getting the puck towards the net, whether it's in the form of a shot pass or just something low off the pad or doesn't have to shoot to score, but it just feels like he's kind of like – He's deferring. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Thank you. And that's something he did really, really well in the AHL. He scored a lot of goals in the AHL because he found his shot, and he's got a really good little snap wrister. Like, Mm -hmm. he gets it off super quick. It's actually got pretty good velocity, and he's been accurate with it. I've seen him snipe multiple goalies in the AHL from the blue line just with a wrist shot. Oh, yeah. He's really good at maneuvering and looking for that shot. But like you guys said, and it's kind of a lot like Dougie right now. They're kind of trying to make sure they don't make a mistake. 
And I think at times Dougie's done the same thing on the first power play where he just yeah, I should I pass too. should I pass the terror or uh Svechnikov or should I pass to uh oh. Which one should I pass to? Natchez? Okay, I'm gonna pass there. Dougie Hamilton has a cannon. How many times has he really taken it, especially on the power play? I've seen him take it a few times, and he did a couple of times last night, but they all seem to be from bad angles with no screen, which that's a whole different story about the Hurricanes not getting to the front of the net. I've been if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen me harp about that for Four games now. There was another guy in the Hurricanes press box right now that generally had good positional awareness and scored a lot of his goals I know right around the crease. If <laughs> there was a guy. That's, that's actually not a bad idea. I could go, for some, Morgan, I could go for some Morgan Geeky right now. If um, only there was a guy who found himself around the crease with his stick on the ice. Where could we find <laughs> such a guy? You talking about uh, Hayden Flurry? Oh God! Let's see what you started. Bro. Right. <laughs> hit the hit the hit the uh, pitch counter to two. <laughs> All right, guys. So real quick before we wrap this up, why don't we go ahead and go through a couple more guys that have actually stood out in a positive way for you guys? I feel like we've spent so much of this podcast talking about you know negatives and what we would do to improve, but who stuck out to you guys in a good way so far? Rock. BCB, baby. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was actually going to be the first guy I said, too. I mean, when, like, when the games get tough and when you need, you know, somebody to show up, Brock McGinn is just that guy, right? Dating back to even last year against Boston when he scored that huge shorthanded goal on the breakaway in the bubble. I mean, he just, the team just feeds off Brock McGinn. And, uh, you know, I was watching the game with my dad last night. We, he doesn't watch a whole lot of Hurricanes hockey at all. And, uh, I was saying, man, like this guy is basically pivotal pivotal to, you know, the group success overall. When he is going, the entire team is going, and uh, he, he steps up when the moment gets big. Um, you know, even in that game three overtime that the Hurricanes did end up losing, he looked like their only hope to score. I mean, how many great chances did he create for himself? And um, he's a guy that I think that the Hurricanes really, really need to focus on resigning this summer because you take him out of that lineup, and it's just going to be a huge hole there. Yeah, I don't think you can lose, like, Martin Nook and McGinn and, like, you know, all these different guys. I think uh, – I still kind of think the jury's out on Martin Nook. I feel like his playoff performance, which has been good, might be kind of reaffirming why they need to keep him around. And I think his odds of signing or, or re-signing are actually getting a little bit higher by the game. Um, he's been invisible a couple of times, too, but he's also had some really good moments and really good games. But, yeah, Brock McGinn for sure. I mean, he's so vital to what this team does. He's like the quintessential glue guy. He just seems to sc- he elevates his game in the big moments, you know, and that's what you're looking for. You're looking for players that elevate in the playoffs, that, like, really show up and want to take their game to the next level when it turns to postseason hockey. And the only guys doing that can't be Warren Fogle and Brock McGinn. Like, you need Andre Svechnikov to be one of those players. You need Sebastian Ajo to be one of those players. You need Tabo Teravainen to take over a game. And that's really the next thing I'm looking for out of the Hurricanes is to have some of their top guys assert themselves and be those top guys. Yeah, um, you know, we I, I would probably put Brady Shea in this discussion as well. But, you know, we've talked about him a lot. He's just been absolutely incredible. Um, and, you know, obviously a lot of credit to Jordan Stahl as well. But, you know, we know what kind of a playoff performer he is. He's just the same in the same mold as Brock McGinn that, you know, when you need a big moment uh, – you, you rely on uh, Jordan Stahl. And it was nice to see Brock McGinn get bumped up to that line last night with Fogel and Stahl. And, uh, you know, Jesper Foss uh, went down to the fourth line because 
I haven't been super impressed with Foss. You know, he's all right. Um, but he struggled. When I have to look to, to to see if somebody is out there impacting the game, it's usually not a good sign. Like he doesn't make mistakes, but he he just doesn't really contribute a whole lot. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Foss yeah, so. is really, really interesting because he's a guy that you're not going to notice a whole lot because of all the little things he does well. But you're also like, you know how they say third pairing defensemen, if you don't notice them, you're do- they're doing their job flawlessly. Yeah. 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 I just feel like Foss is a, a notch or two above that, and we still need to see something from him. Yeah. In that middle, middle to bottom, like third line role. Like, I still feel like as good as his net front is sometimes been off recently with him. Yeah. I, I do like him a lot. I mean, he's when he was a Ranger, I loved watching Fost. I really did. But I find myself, like you guys said, I find myself looking for him too much, looking for him to make the little things happen when usually you don't need to look for the little things to happen because he's just already there. Yeah. I think yeah, you're absolutely right. Fair. Um, and, and he's kind of fighting the puck a little bit too. It seems like so, something definitely just seems a little off with him. Um, or that he just totally whiffed on a one-timer. Yeah. Five yeah. feet out. Yeah. yeah, like, I'm not totally sure that I would keep putting him out there right now on the second power play unit. I think, yeah. you know, even a guy like Fogel in that spot, just park him in front of the net and uh, Stevie he'd, he'd be better off. Yeah, literally, just park someone else in front of the net. And because, uh, I, I, I mean, I'm watching the power play too out there and just his movement isn't great either. I'm just, he, he looks he looks very stationary, stationary right now. And a guy just who's not super confident in what he's doing, um, like you said, Luke, he doesn't make mistakes, so you got to give him a lot of credit for that. But, you know, he's not really playing on the penalty kill either. Um, and I, I think I was just expecting maybe a little more from him. Well, I don't think he really gets his due for how good he was this regular season because he was early on. Pretty- early on, yeah. But, you know, it's been a more of a trend as of late where I've been finding myself looking for him. Before he was jumping off, he was jumping off the ice to me. Like, he looked really quick early in the season, and now he just kind of looks. But that's not really who he is. Like, he's not really like a you know, substantially great player. He's just a little things kind of player. Like he does, he makes winning hockey plays. He gets pucks out of the blue line. He makes a big key block. He gets a puck deep when the team needs a change and gets it out of their own zone. Yeah. Yeah, Those are the kinds of things Jesper Foss does. And lately we haven't seen that much out of Jesper Foss. So he's another guy that you could definitely stand to see step up and take his game up a little bit. Um, All right. Another guy has been so good this entire series. I was about to say, wait, guys, how did this happen? We were gonna, we were going for like guys who impressed us, and then we got all. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, my apologies, man. I don't, I don't know. I feel, I feel, <laughs> I feel like you know, it's been a little negative vibes for me tonight. I just, no. I'm stressed, man. That game stressed me out, and uh, well, it's not to be just, too positive about this series. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, exactly. It shouldn't. Like, I'm not really to gotten to this point. Yeah. Um. I just – it's just what I see, right? I'm just saying what right, I see. Right, yeah. Absolutely. But, okay, let's talk about Stevie just for a minute here. He's been fantastic this series. And he's really – I mean, he's one of those guys just like I was talking about with Foss. He does so many little things well. He's got Rod's trust in the defensive zone at this point. He's winning a lot of face-offs. He's been really, really good in the dot. Um, but for God's sake, Stevie, can you finish one of these – like, I've been talking about this for a while. It's like he does so many things well, and he's been playing so great, and there's no way you're going to – God, I wish people would stop texting me. Um, 
and it's impossible to take him out of the lineup. He's earned his place. He's been fantastic. He's he's one of those just winning hockey plays players. But my God, Stevie, get one through. <laughs> oh man, he deserves it as much he as does, anybody. He does, and I think that's where my frustration is stemming from because it, it, it's like last night he had that great play where he hit the freaking knob of Saros's stick. I was like, oh, that was wired top corner. And of course, Saros's stick, the knob of it, is going to block it away the last second. He's right there, man. And I keep saying, once one, once a couple of them just start to go for him, he could just explode. Just like, like you know, Fogel and McGinnon, these guys get in these, like, stretches where everything goes in for him. And all of a sudden, they're, like, carrying the team, essentially. It's like, at some point, Stevie is going to have that stretch. He's been so good. He's made so many chances happen. He's done so many little things right. He's just got to get this, man, if the puck starts going in for him, he's going to be a Conn Smythe winner, I'm telling you. So uh, moving forward, there's no doubt in my mind that he's earned the spot as the the four C in the Hurricanes' group. I mean, he's kind of made Cedric Paquette obsolete. Not that he was really playing at center anymore, anyway, because Lawrence already took that spot from him. But I mean, if Paquette is healthy at any point, I'm not putting him back into this lineup based on how this fourth line is played and Stephen Lawrence specifically. I mean, this guy's just been incredible. He doesn't quit on any play. He's never giving you an inch. Uh, just his energy reminds me of Warren Fogle in 2019 or 2018 when he first came up and first earned his place on the team. I mean, this guy was just an absolute spark plug. He just never quit, never stopped hustling. And I get that same vibe from Stevie Lorenz where this guy, he's just a machine, um, just got a, a nonstop, relentless motor. And he's a guy that, you know, he obviously Rod Brindamore trusts him for a reason. I mean, it's not easy to earn Rod Brindamore's trust, and he trusts this guy in all situations. So he's he's definitely been a standout player. Yeah. Yeah, before before Nagus's goal, the first shift of the third period where I really said, all right, that's what the Hurricanes need, it was from that fourth line. That The first, like, sustained pressure shift the Hurricanes had was from, again, Steven Lorenz, and I think it actually was Foss at that point. I could be wrong, but um, those yeah. three were out there and had a fantastic shift. Um, a couple of big hits in the corner, relentless on the forecheck, turning pucks over, and got a couple really good chances. That actually might have been when uh, Lorenz got that chance that Saros made the stick with the butt end of his or made the save with the butt end of his stick. Um, and that you know, just little things like that. Like that line has really brought momentum for this team and they probably wouldn't even have these three ones if it wasn't for them, especially in the first two games, man, they were fantastic. That's, that's what they're supposed to do. That's what they're out there for. That's what the herd line has done for Nashville the entire second half of the season to even get them into the playoffs to begin with. They've just created so much energy for them. And, uh, you know, really been the spark plug for the team. And well, I, I mean, that's what Lorenz and company have done. Yeah, there's there's absolutely no question about it that the Hurricanes' bottom six have been their most consistent performers throughout this series. There just hasn't there, – there hasn't been any bad moments from them at all. Um, and, you know, they, it, a lot of the times when the Hurricanes have found themselves in a hole and they've climbed out of it, it's been because of the energy of their bottom six. Yeah, and I mean, another thing, you really got to give credit to Nashville's blue line. Um, Roman Yossi, Matias Ekholm, Ryan Ellis, they're really, really good defensemen, obviously. But I, I can sit here and talk about how Ajo and company haven't shown up, but it's kind of an oversight to not at least mention that they're going against elite defensemen that have done a fantastic job of not giving them anything. I still would like to see them at least be more dangerous, at least put those guys on their heels a couple times a game. But Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, Matias Ekholm, all those guys have been absolutely fantastic this series. Yeah, you just got to uh, exploit that Ben Harper matchup a yeah. little more, I'm telling you. 
I, seriously, I, he, dude, he's big and sure he's physical, but like he is slow. He's so bad. The Hurricanes should be able to abuse that matchup, and they they have a couple of times, but they you'd like to think maybe in Game Six that's kind of where the tide turns. When when Ben Harper's on the ice, Rod Brindamore has to find a way to take advantage because any Harper, of the Harper and Benning is just not a good pairing. Yeah. yeah. Really, they're really not. Benning is a little jackass too, which that's a whole different story. Yeah, he's he, around and he's punching punk. All he does is blindside hit. Like he he punches somebody when they're like not ready or like down on the ice or they can't fight back essentially, or if there's a ref between them. Anyway, I mean, there's a funny situation in the game. I think it was last night's game where you know there was a big big tussle after the whistle, and Ben Harper kind of shoved the referee or something like that. And Hurricanes Twitter was like, "Come on, why isn't this guy ejected?" And I'm like, "Guys, why why do we want Ben Harper ejected? Like this guy sucks. We want him up yeah, there, right? Yeah, like, why yeah. why are you calling for them to take their worst player off the ice? Like if anything, start playing him more, right?" <laughs> <laughs> why, why, that, why are we calling well, for Ben Harper to be thrown out? Ben Harper is more minutes for Yossi, which he yeah, gets exactly. Totally. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean, man. I want Ben Harper's penalty for shoving the official to be he can't come off the ice for the next two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's that's what it should be. But anyway, anything else you guys want to add before we start to wrap this uh, bad boy up? No doubt in my mind, Hayden Fleury's on this roster. This series is over. It's sayonara already. The Hurricanes are sitting by a pool somewhere, drinking mimosas, getting ready for the second round. No question in my mind, but, uh, you know, That's what can you do, right? Yeah. State of the team. Just put Geeky in the lineup. Give 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 Stevie one of, one of those patented below the goal line, between the legs, no look passes. Stevie will tuck that one because he'll be like, oh, my God, it's coming from Geeks. I got this. Man, there might be something to be said for that. That roommate chemistry those two showed, that went a long way. I like Gigi's game a lot. I could have, uh, I could stand to see him back in the lineup, but, you know, who are you taking out at that point? Yeah, see, you mentioned earlier idea. that maybe, you know, Martinuk has shown reason for their team to resign him, but, like, my counterpoint to that would be, you know, yeah. Lorenz and Morgan Geeky, these guys have earned spots in the lineup, and it – you just can't you can't keep holding them out any longer. They, both these guys got to play, and you know maybe even in bigger roles than they are now. So it was, actually, I could go for that in Game Six, man. Wait Steve. a second. Actually, earlier in the series, it was could we see taking Faust out, and it was eh, I don't think so. Could we see taking Faust out for Geeky or now? Maybe when you move McGinn up the lineup. That's not a bad idea either. I don't know. We'll see. I, I don't think Rod out. would do it. Would I yeah, consider it not. potentially? But, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I think when next fall rolls around, you know, with another offseason for Morgan Geeky to learn the system and keep training, keep getting a little stronger away from the puck, I think that, you know, he's going to be a guy that you're going to need in your lineup uh, next season. Yeah. If he doesn't get tra- – I mean, the biggest thing I want for Morgan is that those first two strides to keep getting better. I think they've shown improvement since he first showed up here. I agree. But I, I want to see those first two strides get better and – I mean, I hope he stays a hurricane, but God, I mean, I can I can honestly see him being traded in the off season. He does kind of look like a young trade chip that like some team would definitely take a flyer on because he's an NHL player. No belief, own offensive ability. I believe right now he could be a three C on probably half of the NHL. Teams. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, right. you know, I'll use this as a comparable. Remember when the Hurricanes traded Nick Waugh for Eric Hall, and we're we're all sitting here like, my God, what a steal! You know, we don't know what Nick Waugh is going to be, and Eric Hall was coming off like a twenty nine goal season. We're like, my God, what a steal! But you know, that trade didn't age well at all. Obviously, Eric Hall had a falling out here, and you know, 
public enemy number one of the Hurricanes fan base now for good reason. And uh, Nick Raw is an important player for Vegas. Uh, he's been really good in the playoffs. He's been there th- between like their third and fourth line uh, as a center, but they trust him in all situations. He's a big body. Um, you know, he's he's been really good for them, and he's been carving out a role there over the last couple of years. And I, I'd compare Morgan Geeky kind of like him. Um, you know, I think he can probably go to another situation around the NHL right now, a team that's not quite as deep as the Hurricanes, and he could easily jump into the bottom six of the lineup and probably work his way up and have a good impact somewhere else. Same kind of we saw as, uh, with Hayden Fleury going to – Anaheim, you know, and now he's a top four defenseman there. So, yeah, yeah, Waz's been really good in the Minnesota series. Um, scored two goals the other night. Uh, pretty physical presence, big guy, and his faceoffs, man. He had one game where he went three out of eleven. Tonight, he's six out of seven. Another game, he was eight of eleven, six out of eight, seven out of ten, and ten out of sixteen. So he's been winning draws, which we know that's important. Getting possession right off the bat for your team, like he's been a really good bottom six player for them. Obviously. I've always kind of considered him like a Jordan Stall light, like maybe yeah, a Jordan Stall yeah. light, light, but maybe I'd say light now, especially with how his developments come along. Like he's a very good player. Yeah. Um, and maybe not quite this year's version of Jordan Stall. It's just yeah. absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Just a, but, a, yeah. A different level. You know, last year's Jordan Stall light. But yeah, he's <laughs> in the mold of that type of a player where, you know, he's just a responsible two, 200 foot player. Um, he's got big size and he uses it. Um, and, you know, he did score like 50 goals one year in the QMJHL. I mean, he was the number one selection um, in the QMJHL, I think back in 2012, yep. um, maybe 2013. It, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, this guy, he's been highly touted for a long time, and he's been kind of a late bloomer at every level. It took him a while to settle into junior. And then, you know, it, it, he came into the situation in Carolina, and he never really got settled. Uh, we were kind of waiting for him to take a big step that never happened, and then he was traded. and. You know, you didn't really hear a ton about him in Vegas before this year, especially where, you know, he's just he's just had a breakout year. And, you know, the the original point was about Morgan Geeky maybe getting the same kind of opportunity. And I think you would definitely take advantage of it the same way guys like Juan, Yanni Kukin, and have. Big announcement from the Hurricanes today that they're going to have 15,000 fans um, in attendance. You know, great to see the Hurricanes uh, faithful getting back in the arena, especially in the center of the hockey universe. <laughs> Got to get Matt's bit in there. He's not here, but he's here in spirit. So, Matthew Soma, we love you. Shout out to you. And uh, yeah, that, that's about That's all I've got for today. Can't wait to see those 15,000. Hopefully not until round two of the NHL playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Against the Tampa Bay Lightning, who just ousted the Florida Panthers in six games. But tomorrow night, it's the Hurricanes' turn. Go ahead and get things done. You know, win one road game. That's all you got to do. Go ahead and get you a couple extra days of rest. Actually, since Tampa Bay's already advanced, they probably will go ahead and start scheduling the round two games because that's how the NHL normally does. But anyway, that's about all we got for tonight. Uh, We said we would keep this one pretty short. Uh, We will be back with you guys after the conclusion of this first round series to give our final thoughts on Canes versus Predators. Big thanks to Luke Shaw for stepping in for Matt tonight and hanging out with us and talking shop for a little bit. Appreciate you coming on tonight, buddy. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, and definitely go give him um, a follow on Kane's Twitter. He's definitely one of the more insightful and knowledgeable guys on there, and he deserves all the attention that uh, he doesn't get. Same with Brandon. <laughs> yeah, I've been tweeting that home for a while. 
tooting, tweeting that horn. Go follow these guys. I can't talk, all right? When Matt's not here, I just lose my center. He's supposed to do these outros, not me. Anyway, (laughs) go Canes. And as always, it's a great time to be a Carolina Hurricanes fan.